This is Geek Gab with your host, Dornall and me, Daddy Wartpig. We are back. Geek Gab for Saturday, July 30th, 2022. I, 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 I cannot tell you how much I want to say it's 2023. Um, but it's, it's not. It's, it's still 2022. And it's still July. What? Are, are you experiencing time dilation? Because for me, this year is going by way too fast. Is it really? Yeah. I'm just sick of this year already. Just all the things that are happening and mostly that is political or political adjacent. So I don't have to talk about them on the show. Hey, I don't. I don't mean to burst your bubble, but most of that stuff's not getting better in the next year. Oh, darn it! I do, I didn't mean to burst your bubble. I just want you to. I, I don't want you to be hurt later. We're gonna do a little a little bit of pain now for uh, less pain later. You just don't want me waking up on like January first and realizing that it it it's all still there. Yes. Okay. Okay. I mean, crazy. Prepared myself. You bet. The nice thing is, is that crazy stuff has happened. I wouldn't hold out hope for crazy stuff to happen, but crazy stuff might happen. And gosh, that would just turn everything around or make it worse, whichever. Have there been cool, crazy stuff happening this last week? Uh, this last week, absolutely nuts. Uh, despite the year go by going fast. Uh, this week's been the longest week on record because it's been the hottest week uh, I've ever experienced in my area. So um, look, we're talking temperatures uh, from 92 to 100 with uh, it's not the rain all the time humidity that you might think, but it's uh, it's muggy and almost 100 degrees. It's brutal out there. I've been hiding all week in my cool basement in my home office. But like you lived in Utah for several years, didn't that prepare you for the heat? Uh, yeah, it did. I can I can take a little bit of heat. There's two exceptions here. Uh, the one is that uh, in Utah, having a swamp cooler or an air conditioner is common. And uh, here it isn't. Uh, the other thing is that um, Utah prepares you for one thing and one thing only. That's 110 degree heat with zero humidity. Yes. Um, so that you can just fry an egg on any metal surface. And sitting sitting in the car, either with the windows down or the air conditioning blowing, every part of your body that is in contact with a seat rather than the air it, it has a, a slick sheen of sweat. Um which uh, Utah's Utah's brutal in that particular case. So oh, yeah, boy, not lie. He is not lying, folks. That is exactly what Utah is. Uh, it's it's nuts. Uh, I didn't mind it. Uh, I, I don't think Utah's my my place, my forever home. So that's one of the reasons I left. And uh, anyway. 
So yeah, that's that's what it's been like. So uh, I do have some interesting stuff to talk about. I mentioned uh, in the show notes movie. So uh, spent an evening hiding from the heat in a movie theater. Uh, saw a movie I wouldn't have otherwise seen. We get to talk about Nope today. But, no, no, um, I, I want to. That's actually a really good thing to do when it's super hot, because the theater pays for air conditioning usually, unless it's broken down. Or unless it's like one of those teeny tiny like local movie theaters. But you go to a chain theater and a heat wave, uh, that's some fresh, crisp air conditioning for uh, for the couple hours you're in there. That's a good way to to get get some get some uh, get some heat off you. It's a great deal. In fact, it, it wasn't until I visited my brother in Los Angeles that I figured it out. Uh, because I mean, other than the uh, you know the hometown of Hollywood, I was like, why is going to the theater such a big deal? You're in Southern California in the summer, like go do stuff. And he goes, dude, it's a hundred degrees out. Every <laughs> everybody wants to spend two hours in a dark room eating popcorn. Um, no, but uh, uh, you saw me in a dark room. Sorry, the internet garbled your uh, words there, DW. What did what was that? You saw a movie in a dark room. I saw a movie in a dark room. Yeah, we're going to talk about Nope. Do you want to hear about it? Did now? Did you watch the thing I recommended on Amazon that we were also going to talk about? No, uh, I didn't. Uh, that's what uh, for a perfect line right there. Oh, uh, I nope. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> Got it. I'm a little slow today. Uh, okay. Well, I can talk about that, but it is really good. I'll, I'll talk about that later. But yeah, let's hear about Nope because I, I haven't avoided his movies. I just haven't seen any of them because. Well, let me tell you, folks, I've been working 12-hour days for the last two months uh, with a couple of rare exceptions when I get too burned out to continue doing that. I'm really not to do that all the time. Just end up doing that. Well, I mean, I, I get what you're saying. Nope is the latest movie from Jordan Peele. Of, uh, if you haven't seen his movies, he's, he's from Key and Peele fame. Um, and He did. Get out. Get out and us. And and why? Well, I, I mean, you don't have to make excuses. I you know you watch you watch the commercials. Uh, he's he's got a particular style and a particular cast, and you can tell. You know, I don't think this movie is for me, right? Yeah, which was probably the case with Get Out. Um, I, I heard that Us is a little more just weird horror, and nope. Uh, nope, of course, is a great name for a horror or a sort of weird story uh, movie. <laughs> uh, just the trailer alone said, I, I don't know if that's for me, but that title is perfect. Well, I mean, uh, that's right? what an insane person would say in a horror movie, right? Right. Exactly. Just nope. Uh, but... So what can I say about it? I, I was pleasantly surprised because it wasn't um, it wasn't all the things that you might imagine it to be. It wasn't a cheesy it wasn't, horror movie. It, it wasn't, wasn't 
thinly Sorry? veiled metaphor for black and white relations in America in 2022. That, it wasn't that? Exactly. It wasn't that. Uh, but it wasn't straight horror, and it wasn't straight comedy. Um, the, uh, it had a lot of humor, a lot of dark humor, not a pun. And it was entertaining as it's, it's actually done as sort of a uh, series of vignettes all centered around this horse ranch. Uh, and, you know, there's a, there's a movie monster in it. And I don't, I, I don't know how to say this without spoiling it, but the, the, I don't say the, the vibe and character that you get from the trailer is what you get in the movie. Crazy stuff is happening here in, in, you know, in Southern California. Uh, these characters are trying to figure it out or not die or, or do something about it. Um, and it was really entertainingly done. Um, chat loves it too, Jeff Rowing and Catholic Lancer. Um, uh, they they put it on my radar as a hey I you know let's let's go see this movie uh, just for the air conditioning really. By the way, so that is much, one of my favorite hobbies. Uh, not done is high on my personal list of hobbies. It's a that's a strong hobby. Uh, pe more people should take that up. Um, yeah, obviously I'm trying not to spoil too much, but yeah, there's a there's the horse ranch, there's a there's monster and other weird things going on, and but it's more than that, and it's also less than that, right? It is, um, Peel's not interested in making high art or anything like that. Like he knows that movies are fun, disposable entertainment. And so he's going to make a fun movie uh, about uh, the characters that seem realistic in a completely crazy, unrealistic scenario. And he just has fun with it. And bonus spoiler for all the anime fans at home. There's a beautiful homage at the end of the movie. If you're an old school anime fan, go see nope because it no it's nothing like you expected unless what you want is a fun popcorn flick good stuff all right uh, i just wish more movie makers were like that that um Stop trying to be Oscar bait or, or trying to do something important or serious with your thriller or something like that. Uh, especially with science fiction stuff. They play everything straight, but at the same time, as you're playing it straight, the only thing you can do is just, nope, nope, I'm out, nope. <laughs> <laughs> because, because that's how you would react in that situation. Okay, that does sound fun. Yeah. Um, I don't have any questions. I feel like yep. I now know what the movie is like. I, I, I do highly recommend it. You're going to forget all about it next month, 
but whenever someone else mentions it, you'll be like, oh yeah, that was fun. I liked that movie. All right. Should we jump to the next what one? What did you see? What did you see that was so awesome that you forgot? I didn't forget. I told you to watch it so we could have a discussion, but no. Yeah. Yeah, right. I, I have I do not do uh streaming services in my uh home office. I skipped it. Oh, see, I've got uh I got Amazon Prime to get stuff shipped to me fast and one of the things you get with amazon prime is a whole bunch of other stuff that they throw on to make you think that it's okay to keep amazon prime even though they increased the price by like 60 percent over the last couple of years um and one of those is the amazon prime movie streaming service uh and so i get everything on amazon prime movie streaming service basically for for free uh or as an added benefit of something I was always going to be paying for anyway. Um, so, I mean, I, I use Amazon Prime, the shipping, much time, or at least frequently enough that it's still of value to me. Um, I just bought a copy of the first Horse Clans novel, uh, literally the 1982 paperback version. It was the only copy on the entire Amazon site that didn't cost. Other paperback copies are going for like 98 bucks. And I bought the only copy that was for sale for five bucks with three bucks shipping. I don't know how that happened, but uh, if anybody else wants to go buy a copy of the horse clans and you notice that the prices are insane, uh, I bought the last same price. You did. Copy. You could thank me personally, literally, for buying the last same copy. That is my fault. Ruining it for everyone. <laughs> I don't feel bad about that. I really don't. Anyways, my point is I was on Amazon Prime, and the number one series on all of Amazon Prime is not Wheel of Time Shocker. And it is not uh, Jack Reacher, which I've heard is really, really good. Shocker. It is not the Harry somebody series that uh, Larry Correa really likes, uh, which I've heard from Larry Correa is really, really good. Hey, what's that Korean movie he keeps on recommending that I keep on not seeing? Oh, um, the one with the knife fight? I forget the name. Yeah. So do I. Anybody I've, I've, in the, I've seen it. Absolutely brutal. But I don't remember the name. Remember, I want to watch it. I just haven't because I'm working 12-hour days. See, it's not Jordan Peele movies. It's everything I don't watch. Uh, but anyways, it's called The Terminal List. It's got um, Guardians of the Galaxy, uh, Star-Lord Chris in it. Pratt. Chris Pratt who I really like as an actor. He's a fun actor. He does a great job. It is now the number one series on Amazon Prime, and it deserves it. Unlike the Lord of the Rings series, which is coming out in September, um, this series deserves to be number one. The Lord of the Rings will not deserve to be number one. 
but it will be anyway because people are going to watch it just to see of the name. Um, anyways, Chris Pratt uh, plays a Navy SEAL. They did a phenomenal job on research for this. They sh uh, it, the You can just tell that the tactics, the stances he takes as he, you know, clears a room, um, they went to a lot of trouble and got great technical eyes um, to make them look and act and move like Navy SEALs. Because if you've seen uh, special operations troops in other movies where they've got it right, they do different things that are nevertheless not even cinematically um, impressive, but you know that they're right. Like when he's holding out his gun, when he goes into a dangerous situation in order to keep it from being taken away from him, to keep control of it, his gun is gun, uh, his pistol, all the way up against his chest. So it looks like, you know, and then he's hunched over it. It looks really strange, but that is actually the correct way that they do that to keep control of the gun so that, uh, you know, then he's moving back and forth in this really strange looking way. That's the correct way that they do that. And I don't know, I'm not trying to pass myself off as an expert. I'm not trying to pass myself off as someone who knows more than I do because I don't. Um, but I have seen, I have seen literally a few uh, YouTube videos of, of SEALs and uh, a couple of other people, and that's how they hold the pistols in those situations. Um, so it was nice seeing that because usually in movies what you need to do, and, and you need to do this because you're making a movie has to look good, is to do things that look cool but absolutely do not work in a real fight, and that's fine. They're movies. That's why you have those bright spanging lights going off everywhere because bullets don't really make that kind of light when you're shooting at someone, but you need it to show people where bullet impacts are happening so they can feel the visceral kind of tension that the hero's being shot at. Um, they don't do that in this series either. They went for this really grounded, gritty realism, and it was just nice to see. It's, it's a good change of pace. Uh, so it's not really an action movie. And don't get me wrong, there's a lot of action in the show. There's a lot of, you know, grounded combat in the show. But it's not an action movie. They're not trying to do the over-the-top stuff. And I love the over-the-top stuff. Everybody knows that. You listen to the show for any length of time. You know I love action movies. Love them. Um but they did a really grounded thing with this show, and it's 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 brilliant to watch. It's awesome. The uh, plot line is he plays a Navy SEAL who is after a high value target, and this is not really a spoiler because it's the first fifteen minutes of the first episode. Okay, so. This is the setup to the series. This tells you what the entire series is going to be about. Um, his, his group of SEALs, his team, gets ambushed. 
And the rest of the show is about him chasing down and eliminating the people responsible for the ambush. And shortly, I don't know if I want to say that or not. It came as a surprise to me, so I'll leave it as a surprise to you. If you read any articles about it, you will be told this. Um, so, I mean, it's been out for several weeks now. Uh, all the episodes are out. You can watch the whole thing. Um, binge watch or, you know, watch once a week or whatever. Uh, I would highly recommend it. Chris Pratt turns in an excellent performance. Uh, all the other uh, major characters in the show turn in excellent performances. Um, it is enjoyable. It is... Uh, It is a revenge flick. And that's also something I, I really like. I like revenge flicks. Um, the gal who played Electra that was married to Ben Affleck. Um, Jennifer Garner. Jennifer Garner, thank you. She did one called Peppermint. Um, that was a great flick that I reviewed on the show here. Um, but yeah. This is a revenge flick broken up into eight episodes, and none of them are wasted. None of them are marking time. Uh, they all have a point. They all have steps to move through. They all have people. It, the terminal list is the list of people who he keeps discovering who need to be um, brought to justice for his... Uh, for the ambush of his team. And mm. so he goes through the uh, goes through the list. Um, and uh, it is phenomenal. It is tragic. And he's going up this chain of, of you know, criminality and terrorism, and it takes him to different places. And I just, it is at the same time being gritty and uh, dark in places, it is not so dark you cannot stop enjoying it. It is not so dark it becomes dreary or grim or depressing. Uh, it is not there to lecture you. It is not there to, you know, it touches on various things, but they're just touched on. They're not pointed out and, and fingers shook at you. It's not an agenda show. Um, obviously he's a veteran he comes back from the theater and so they notice that they see that they don't just you know sweep that under the rug he goes into the uh, VA and he has people saying you know you need to go to therapy all your team got wiped out you're the sole survivor you have survivor's guilt you need to you know go in for counseling he says no I don't need counseling and they say look you know so many veterans commit suicide every day. Obviously, that's a real conversation that they really would have with a real veteran whose entire team got killed in action, you know, on intel that he brought the team from his contact. So, yeah, that's touched on. That's mentioned. But it's not there to, to preach at you. It's not there to make you feel guilty or to, to be an issue. That's just something that's there. And you know what? 
if you're watching the show and you feel like, oh, yeah, that is important. I want to go, you know, whatever, do something that that's fine. It is relatable to real life while not being preachy and not pushing anything. It's just there because it's there because it, it has to be there because that's just the way those things would play out. Um, so I like that. I like movies that just have real stuff there that would be real stuff. You know, if, uh, if you had a movie where a house burned down and somebody's kid was killed, that never happens in this show, by the way. Um, you know, having people talk to the mom or dad and say, look, you want to go to counseling because this is a traumatic experience. That's just real life. There's no message or agenda with putting that in the movie or the TV show or the book. Um, so what I'm saying is they did a really, really good job with their show. And it is, quote unquote, right wing only to the extent that it deals with issues of honor, deals with issues of soldiers who have uh, obligations to each other uh, when they were in theater, when they were operating together, when they were under fire, and obligations that extend beyond death. That even though um, they've been killed, he still has obligations to those men. He still has obligations to his brothers. Um and it is a powerful motivation what happens. And then things, the stakes get up. Um, what happens gets intensified. Those are just like, you know, the table stakes. That's just what you get in the first episode. And then things go up and up from there. Um, and it is, it is great. Uh, I just thoroughly enjoyed it. It was well worth my time. I spent, again, I think there's eight episodes. And uh, I did not waste any minute of those eight hours watching the show. Love to hear it. I, except I may have to, I don't have anything to add, except I may have to check it out. So, yeah, that's my review. Uh, go see it. Watch it if you have, uh, you know, Amazon Prime. It's it's well worth, uh, well worth watching. It's really really good. Um, that's uh, that's it. That's it. Jump. That's the show. No. <laughs> oh, I mean, <laughs> uh, what else did you have on your list for today? I w I really want to get to. Um, you know, the goings on in, in D and D and Teropolis and everything like that. But, uh, if you had something else to bring up, now's the time. Well, we actually had a theme for this show because a bunch of stuff I watched just kind of dovetailed together. And then I wanted to toss in something D and D that would dovetail with those on the end. So let's dump D and D on the end because we always talk about that for like half an hour at the beginning of the show. Uh, it's the best part of the show. <laughs> um, so I watched everything, everywhere, all at once. Um, and that's the apparently really, really popular by uh, Studio A24, who keeps on doing all of those kind of off-kilter horror movies. Um, they did The Green Room, and they did something that I could have told you about last night because I 
remembered it and was great, but I haven't remembered it today. Um, and, uh, and that's cause, uh, oh yeah. Everything everywhere all at once uncut gems, which was great. Uh, Midsummer one, right? Yeah. Yeah. Adam Sandler. Great, great, uh, movie. They did Midsummer, which I haven't seen. Um, but, uh, and I don't think I would see, it's just not my cup of tea. Um, they've done a lot of, uh, what you would normally call artsy movies, but that happened to be good. Like they did The Witch, um, Ex Machina. Um, they did Spring Breakers uh, with uh, the guy who got canceled, who was everywhere for a while. Um, I can't remember any names. You're my backup name, dude. I, I don't have this guy. The guy that got canceled and was everywhere is pretty wide net to cast. Um, was he also married to Ben Affleck? Frank's. Frankel? No, I can't remember. Uh, you, you got me. I am. Uh, uh, my brain is fried. I once again I got four and a half hours of sleep last night so uh you will really really have to uh just be impressed james franco was in spring breakers with uh the who's who of, of starlets at the time selena gomez vanessa hudgens ashley benson uh so on and so forth um it was kind of a gritty street horror um but if if you've seen the list of the movies of ex machina the witch uh, all those things. It's uh, so they're kind of artsy horror movies or artsy movies uh, in general. Um, and uh, the bling ring with uh, <laughs> I am clicked into Wikipedia, so I'm just going to pretend like I remembered it. Directed by Sofia uh, Coppola. Um, and it has Emma Watson in it. Um, Why? It's about a bunch of really, really rich kids who go through and for thrills, they rob stuff. I don't know. Um, and a Swiss Army Man who had uh, Harry Potter in it, actually. Um, I'm just going to keep naming these. Daniel Radcliffe and Mary Elizabeth Winstead. I'm just going to keep naming these until you say, okay, Are you just listening... Are you just listing random movies now? Is that what this is? Uh, no, no. Dark City, uh, <laughs> The Empire Strikes Back, Alien, and Being John Malkovich. That's my list. Uh, they had Moonbase 8, that really long, boring movie that I haven't seen because it's really long and boring. Um, with... Uh, uh, oh, wait, no, I'm thinking of a different movie. That's a... TV comedy series? What? Anyways, you, you see who A24 is. They make a lot of movies that are horror movies that are kind of a little bit artsy. So yes. this is a little bit artsy multiverse movie series. It stars Michelle Yeoh, who is the martial arts phenom. Um, probably got on everybody's radar with Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. If you're old... If you're old. Um, 
and has started a ton of stuff after that. It's great. She's phenomenal actress. Uh, and I'm not going to say what she's most recently been on because it was awful. It was awful. It was awful. She was too good for the show. She was too good for the show. She was too good for all the people who were on the TV show. She was too good for the network that the show was on. She was too good for the producers and the companies that made the show. And I'm not going to talk about it anymore because I hated it and it sucked. But Michelle Yeoh, <laughs> genius. Hey, I'm not going to mention it. It 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 defiles her name. For you me wasted to bring too up. much too much breath on it already. Yeah. Um. So I like the show. I like the movie. Um. But then again, I'm predisposed to like multiversal stuff. I've always liked that alternate history and multiversal stuff ever since I was a, a little kid. I've always liked alt history stuff. Um, and which explains why I like, you know, why I glommed on to Torg almost immediately just from reading a little bit about it in an article uh, for the local Intermountain Gaming Association here in, in Utah back in uh, 1990. Um, that's all it took. One little article, and I wanted to, you know, play the game. Um, it's about a lady whose life has never gone anywhere near the way she wants it. Everything she's ever wanted to do, everything she's ever dreamed of doing has always failed. And that may have been her fault. It may have been that she just kept on having dreams and jumping from one to another and never settled down and got the discipline to do any one of them well. Or... It may have been just unfortunate circumstances. Anyway, she finds out through some weird circumstances that in another universe, the universe, she was a brilliant scientist who invented technology that lets you mind jump into yourself in another universe. But she also found out that... Uh, Someone has gone crazy and is trying to wreak havoc across all the universes. And that she is the only one who can put a stop to it because she is such a loser that has done so little with her life. And that she is at the center of a cluster of universes where she made something of herself that she has in all these other alternate universes right around her. She was so interested in doing things and fantastically succeeded in these other universes that she's actually capable of great mind traveling, that she can go into all these other universes close to her and get the, borrow the talents of those alternate universe hers. So the universe that's close to her, she actually learned martial arts and became a martial arts master and a movie star. So she can go to that universe and borrow her martial arts skill to fight against these enemies of this great evil. And uh, so on and so forth. All of the skills and talents she might need, she can borrow because 
all of the dreams that she always had, she actually succeeded at in other universes. Uh, and then the rest of the movie is about her fighting off this great evil. And obviously I wanted to see it because it was a multiversal movie. It was about alternate histories. It was about... Uh, it's not about big-time alternate histories. It's not about, okay, this is a world where Abraham Lincoln wasn't shot. This is a world where, um, you know, the human race evolved out of pumpkins, although there's one that's sort of kind of like that. Um, two worlds that are sort of kind of like that. It is really about a family drama, about her and her husband and her daughter, and it's about the relationships between those three and how they developed in all of these alternate worlds. And it helps her to, uh, while she is jumping from world to world or borrowing skills from world to world, she sees into her life and sees the sacrifices she had to make in order to become successful and sees why she didn't make those sacrifices in this world. And that's why she's stuck in this place where she um, where she didn't succeed as much as she wanted struggling and, and where her family is struggling. So didn't I like it? Yes, I liked it. I thought it was great. Um, the googly eyes are not a big thing. They're not actually – I'm just referring to the trailer now if you've seen the trailer – uh, they're not actually, she does not go to an alternate universe where googly eyes are all over people. They're like, uh, which is what the trailers made you think. Uh, there's a bit of a misdirect. Um, I liked it. I thought it was a good movie. I enjoyed it. Um, it, in some places, it's a family drama. So there is a lot of martial arts action that is really cool. Uh, there's some scatological humor that is funny, but is also scatological. So be careful who you show it to or who you see it with. Uh, I don't remember there being any actual nudity ever. Um, and there's no, there's no outright sexual content other than scatological stuff. Um, it's a modern artsy movie. You know, there's some quote-unquote uh, countercultural stuff in it. Uh, but uh, I enjoyed the movie. It was worth watching. I'm done. You're done. You're stunned. You're I, I'm absolutely, absolutely stunned by uh, artsy, multi-universal multi film. Is that the theme that we're tying into? I hope not, because the next show isn't artsy. What is it? Uh, the next show in our multiversal trail of... Well, I don't know. I'm just glad we didn't save uh, Doctor Strange for this show. Uh, we had so much other stuff to talk about. Rick and Morty! I watched Rick and Morty! Oh, word. I watched all the Ricks and all the Mortys and all the Ricks and Mortys. Uh, and apparently it's actually 
topical and trendy. It's not just me picking up on a show that I thought was done with. I thought it was canceled after season five. It's it's done it's over, and I'm catching up on it like two years later. No, apparently they are renewed through season 10. And there's a new season coming out on September 2nd. So this is actually timely and topical. And I knew that. Absolutely knew that. Absolutely. That's why I sat down and watched this show. Mm-hmm. So uh, here's my quick review of Rick and Morty. It's not funny until episode eight of the first season. Those last three episodes were actually pretty decent. Season two is pretty decent humor. Season three is the blockbuster pop culture penetration season, and it's really funny in most places, but not in the way that Rick and Morty people apparently have told people that it's funny. Um, And then season four and season five were largely duds. There was still some funny stuff in it, but it wasn't the... It wasn't as funny as the first two seasons, and it was mainly not funny. Uh, season six is coming out in um, uh, on September 2nd. But I promised more in depth than that. Rick and Morty is a, for those of you who don't know, a multiverse show about a psychopath grandfather and his pushover grandson who and the rest of their family who go on multiversal adventures uh they have a portal gun and they use this portal gun to jump from alternate universe to alternate universe and also they go on some intergalactic adventures where they jump from uh you know they go to other planets and things like that it's made by dan Harmon, who also made community but it is pretty much nothing like community although a bunch of other people a bunch of actors who were in community show up um, in the show uh, pretty frequently. Keith David, who is contractually bound to be in everything, um, shows up quite often. He also plays, um, you know, quote unquote, the black guy president who isn't President Obama, but is President Obama, but isn't um, for the seasons of the show that were set during uh, uh, I love Keith David. He's he's in everything because his voice is amazing. Yes, he's got an awesome voice. Uh, I started playing the updated HD version of uh, Modern Warfare Two last night, and uh, I was getting yelled at by a sergeant to do stuff in the very first section of the game. And you know who was yelling at me as the black sergeant? Had to be Keith David. Had to be Keith David. Absolutely. I was like, awesome. That's Keith David. And, of course, the General Shepard. General Shepard was Lance Hendrickson. So that was just an awesome way to begin the game right there. Getting yelled at in one ear, one ear by Lance Hendrickson and the other ear, ear by Keith David. Uh I can't imagine a better way to begin a, a video game than that. Uh, anyways, back to Rick and Morty. Uh, I promised people I would talk about Szechuan sauce and and uh, Pickle Rick uh, because absolutely uh, it was pointless and there was no reason for me to talk about him. So, of course, I promised to do it because that's the kind of humor you have on uh, Rick and Morty. 
And no, that's not why I promised to do that. I just made that up right now. I just made that up right now to make it seem like there was some meta thinking behind that, but there wasn't. I lied to you. Um, uh, misdirection. It was misdirection. No, it wasn't even misdirection. I just lied. Um, Pickle Rick was a funny episode in that a lot of the stuff they did in the episode was hilarious. Pickle Rick itself, the notion that Rick, who's a mad scientist, turned himself into a pickle just to get a family therapy wasn't funny. It isn't funny. It just laid there as a joke being dead. It just, Absolutely. Um, it's yeah, it's heavy handed and, and we get the point. And maybe it's an answer to all the people who realize that Rick's actually a scumbag. But they played it off as a joke these, that wasn't funny. All of these people apparently were trying to say that just the pickle Rick itself as a joke was funny. And we're trying to pass it off like they're smart and smarter than every pe other people to get that joke. Oh, because it's lol random. Or, yeah, or whatever. I don't know. I didn't read these arguments when they happened because I didn't watch Pickle. I didn't watch Rick and Morty literally like weeks ago, weeks ago. I'm just catching up on the show. I, I had nothing to do with the picture of the show or reading articles about it or anything. I, I watched the show purely for the show in, in the pure sense of binging the show, and I didn't do anything else with it. So, you know, I'm 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 not privy to the discussion around it. Uh, I was not. Uh, uh, and Dan Harmon likes to quote unquote engage with the internet culture of a show. He did that on Community a lot. A lot of things that happened on Community were because of things the fan says. Uh, the fans said I did not engage with the culture of Rick and Morty, so I was not in conversation with with Dan uh, or with the fans. I'm just here to tell you, Pickle Rick, not a funny joke. People who said they were smarter than everyone else because they laughed at that just for that were not smarter than everyone else. They were just fronting. Um, but the show itself did have funny stuff in it. And I, I laughed at a, a, a lot of the stuff in that show. So I don't know how that plays out on your own personal should I watch this meter. Um, but I thought that was funny. Um what was the other thing I said I would talk about the show? Oh, Szechuan sauce. Apparently, and uh, I was never rich enough to buy McDonald's at the time this came out, um, for the Mulan movie in the 1990s, the Disney animated movie in the 1990s, they released a new sauce for McDonald's Chicken McNuggets called Szechuan sauce. And in one single episode of Rick and Morty, uh, Rick talks about how awesome he thinks Szechuan sauce is. And he actually goes to an alternate universe where they still make it to get some Szechuan sauce for chicken nuggets. And, uh, I mean, there's some, uh, you know, dangerous thing that's tied to it that he risks life and limb of him and some other people, so on and so forth. Um, 
So it led to fans going kind of nuts about it and McDonald's eventually bringing back Szechuan sauce in the real world, literally McDonald's literally brought back Szechuan sauce. So whatever you say about the show, and this was in the third season, this was in the good season when, well, like I said, it was having a pop culture impact. Um, they brought back, they caused the bringing back of the Szechuan sauce. And I vaguely remember this. I don't know if I actually got any Szechuan sauce to taste it. I think I might have. I don't remember being super wild enough to get it again. Um, so I liked a lot of the concepts for the cross-dimensional worlds were actually genuinely clever. Dan Harmon was good at starting the show with a stinger that made you want to watch the episode just to figure out what the hell was going on or where he would take the concept. Um, and a lot of the stuff in season two, season three, and those last three episodes of season one were genuinely funny. Season four and five dived off into a lot more swearing and a lot more sexual material. And the level of actual humor dropped sharply. Uh, also, uh, well, he has an opinion about the characters on the show that made him stop watching, which I'll let him do now. The characters on the show are... The characters. Sorry? Yeah, the characters... Are awful. They're terrible, and everything is their fault, and I want all of them to fail all the time. Uh, there's nothing of... There's no character of redeeming quality in the show. Um, as you said at the, at the top, you know... Uh, even even the kid Morty, who's sort of being dragged around by his crazy grandfather, he's just a pushover. They, you know, they make they go through extravagant efforts to make sure that you know that he and his dad, in particular, are losers. Um, just not worth it for the show. That's not as funny as everybody on Reddit seems to think. I yeah. uh. I was, I was angry about that. I didn't know I was angry about that. <laughs> and and maybe the show is really, really overhyped by a group of people. Um, I mean, I could see that, thinking that this is a thinking man's comedy that's so smarter than everybody else. Yeah, okay. Because um, it's science, man. It's the science. They they use science to go to other worlds and, and science themselves out of problems. It's not. It is not a thinking man's cartoon. It it is it deals with a lot of concepts that used to be rare. That used to be like, you know, not all that common. But Spider-Man No Way Home was a multiversal movie, and it was like one of the top grossing, the top grossing Marvel movie of all time now. Um, and then Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness was a smash hit. 
and the phrase, the darkest timeline is culture, um, or at least political normie culture on Twitter, um, and a lot of other, you know, internet aware culture uh, of normies, people who are normies on the internet. Um, so you've got to, you've got to think that multiverses and the concept of there being timelines and them being different, not just in the notion that time played out differently there, that the Nazis won there or that the Confederacy won there, but where actually things are different there that, you know, uh, physics is different or the ground is rubber or, you know, clouds are cotton candy and, and uh, ants weave gold or whatever, that that's become a common thing in pop culture nowadays. That's common enough that people understand it. It's like when it's an analogy, analogy, highfalutin science analogy coming that if you understand it, you are unique, highly intelligent, better than your fellow man, just like Rick and Morty, right? If you understand it, you are better than your fellow man. Back in the days when the theory of relativity was first introduced, somebody said that only six people on the planet could explain it. But nowadays, we're actually literally teaching it in high school to high school students, and people who pay attention in class can understand it because it's been digested enough that we can teach it well enough that it's spread out and penetrated the culture and people can understand it. It's no longer new. It's part of everything we swallow in the culture, right? Literally 2009 Star Trek begins with alternate timeline. And we talk about reboots on different timelines all the time. In major movies that have penetrated the popular culture, Marvel had the major plot line of um, the Infinity War sequel being, hey, we're changing the timeline. Frickin' 1985 had Back to the Future about things getting erased from timelines and timelines changing. And you do not get more mainstream than Back to the Future, okay? There is no more mainstream movie then back to the future, that defines mainstream movies, okay? We have had literally two generations of people raised with alternate universes and alternate timelines in their consciousness. This is no longer an obscure little concept limited to geekdom, limited to people who read science fiction or who recomes mainstream a long time ago. You are not smarter than everyone else because you watch this show. And nothing in this show is so complicated that other people are not going to grasp it. It does not make you a better person. So it is, and it's absolutely clear to me that that is the crux of the zeitgeist right now in culture is multiversal stuff. Um, just be between 
Doctor Strange, just between uh, the Spider-Man movie and between uh, everything, everywhere, all at once. I mean, this is emerging from the cultural zeitgeist. I don't know how long it's going to last, but it has come out. It has unearthed itself. Um, and so people, uh, whatever they're thinking, they're not better than anyone else. Rick and Morty is a show that, like a lot of shows, had a rough beginning. Like the first season of Star Trek The Next Generation is crap. I've heard a lot of people say the first season of a lot of shows are garbage, and you have to really give them a first season to get on their feet. I don't know that that's true or not, but definitely the first season of The Next Generation was just awful, and they needed to get to the second season to get really good. Um, and Rick and Morty, most of the first season was off of the last three seasons, the last three episodes of the first season, decent. Second and third season, great. Fourth and fifth season, not really decent, although the the concepts they were playing with were interesting enough. And you got to remember, it's not like I was watching this show as a regular person to keep watching it. I was watching it because I wanted to review it for the show. So... On that level, I just kept watching it because I just kept watching it. And you got to remember some of the things I have just kept watching. It's not bad. It was not painful. It did not make me wish that I could hammer nails in my head to distract myself from the pain. Um, but there are some caveats to watching it. Uh, all the characters are awful. That didn't actually bother me. Eh. That's what the show was. Um, it has bothered me in other times and places, but this show didn't bother me. Um, and I was kind of detached from the characters. I didn't care about the characters, but I was interested in all the hijinks and antics and jokes. So, no, I didn't really care about the characters. Uh, so I guess I went a different direction than uh, my compatriot here, but I'm not saying he's wrong. I just had a different reaction to it. It didn't make me hurl away the show in disgust. It just made me stop caring. Also, Rick burps a lot and he farts a lot. If scatological humor like that kind of disgusts you, this should be done to you again. That's it. I'm done with that show. <laughs> Everybody should be done with that show. Um, yeah, to your to your point about the characters, I mean, I know it's it's tough to compare it to the best, but uh, compared to Seinfeld, which is a show about horrible people, I mean, it's a show about nothing. But the characters are awful people. Uh, in fact, they end up in jail at the end of the show uh, for all their horrible crimes. Um, but the jokes were good. The situations were genuinely funny. Uh, and for actually, I I agree with you. Season two. Uh, the jokes were really funny in season two, and that's it. If it's it's a vehicle for jokes, not some high highbrow highfalutin humor. There's nothing highbrow about it. Yeah. Um. Okay, let's do uh, AD and D real quick. Hey, um, how's Trollopolis going? Now we had a good session. I absolutely refused to DM this week because uh, I've been working twelve hour days for the last two months. I may have mentioned that. Um. Hmm. And uh, so we went back to the cave we had hit last week, and uh, we were hunting down a werewolf, which apparently is Schrodinger's werewolf. Um, whenever we look for it, it isn't there. It's 
we, we get to hear it howling every now and then, but then we go looking for it and it wasn't there. Um, we killed a, uh, killed our way to a, uh, what seemed like a bunch of treasure, but when you divided it in six ways, it wasn't a bunch of treasure. And my character is going to be stuck at the levels he's stuck at for a long time. So I'm just settling in for settling in for some uh, uh, for some uh, reflexive. Uh, really, what I'm doing is I keep on hearing all of these adventuring hooks being thrown out, and I'm sorting them in order of what seems like it'll have the most treasure. Good luck and uh, I just uh, get treasure level up. That's my that's in fact, they made a joke about it this last session, because after we were done in a room, we came in, we killed the monsters. Everybody was ready to move on for the room. And I'm like, where's the treasure or is there any treasure was actually my question. Is there any treasure? We literally were going to walk away from the room that had treasure in it. They didn't even look for it until I said is there treasure? So the only reason we got treasure out of that room is because I was like, is there treasure in this room? Because I want a treasure so I could level up eventually. All right, here's, here's something about AD&D first edition, and I have no experience playing, but I have experience with the dungeon generator and Gary Gygax's modules. And if there's anything in the room then there's a good chance that there's treasure hidden somewhere in that room or a secret door in the room. You, yeah, you, don't, go into you, room, you don't go into a room and not search for treasure. I will give you a secret. Um, modules, even modules written by Gary Gygax or adventures, prepared adventures, tend to give out more treasure than the random tables do or more treasure than the treasure types on monsters do. Um, if you're, and both Brian and Jeff were listening to this. I'm not doing this for my own benefit, but um, if you're running the game strictly by random treasure and random dungeon rooms, your players are getting far magic items and they're going to be getting far fewer um uh, you know, jewelry and, and gems and things like that than they typically do in first edition prepared adventures. I'm not saying you should run prepared adventures, and I'm not saying you should change that. I'm just saying I have noticed that. Um, we did another round of rolling for random treasure, and I'm happy to say that I was personally responsible for rolling treasure on 5,000 GP of gold. So, you know, me actually rolling low on percentile dice got the party 5,000 extra GP. <laughs> not that that did it. You know, I'm not trying to claim that as any credit. I just felt okay about that. I was like, okay, I feel like I have contributed now with my lucky uh, random computerized dice roller on my phone. <laughs> oh, that's a good point. I, I think that is because um, it's, it's all over the writing in the Dungeon Master's Guide that uh, – that big treasure halls were a problem. Um, like B2 Keep on the Borderlands is infamously stingy on treasure. Um, and 
the as you say the treasure tables are a little what can i say they're a little sparse um especially at low levels of a dungeon but uh i think that's deliberate uh it, you know it's mentioned at least two or three times in the book in the dungeon master's guide hey when you're starting a game it's up to you to determine what kind of treasure magic items your players get because you're in full control of how quickly they attain wealth and power. See, it's a... Uh, meaning what I'm talking about is... No, I'm, I'm... I am talking about also magic items. We get... Uh, we have very, very few magic items for being... Right now, we've actually succeeded at getting to be a party of generally fifth level adventurers, um, fourth and fifth level adventurers. Um, and then we have like the two OP people, they call us, which is Alma Ricky, who's a fighter, mage, thief, elf, uh, who is generally fourth and fifth in all those classes. And then my simple. Uh, wandering mendicant who is a fifth level Wu Jen, and so because of that gets uh, weird Oriental adventures powers. Um, but uh, with a with a party of fourth and fifth level adventures, it's actually pretty easy for first level characters to survive to third or fourth level. Um, and then you know once you're up to third or fourth level, you're as long as you're not. As long as you're running away from obviously super powerful things and not being stupid on the battlefield, you'll probably be okay. Um, but uh, yeah, we are. We just have a. I'm arguing with my DM live on the air because he's in the chat responding to the things I'm saying, and I'm trying not to because this really wasn't about arguing with my DM. I was just making a comment about the. Random Amen. charts in the DMG. All, all, all I'm saying, all I'm saying, is that being stupid on the battlefield is one of my favorite things. That sounds awful. The um, DMG is really the DMG random treasure charts are really stingy with magic items, and very stingy with magic oh, items, especially permanent magic items. And which, I think, which that, I, I mean, go ahead. I think that ideally, uh. Ideally, I would like to see the party have one or two more magic items among the party than we do. Mm -hmm. But that's just me. Um, and to go with the theme today, dimensional stuff, I didn't think I could load them despise 4th edition more. But then I found out 4th edition, D&D. Then I found out that uh, I have, as, you know, not as a deliberate tactic, but just because uh, I didn't really care all that much, I, uh, I just kind of kept myself from paying attention to fourth edition. I was out of role playing during the years that fourth edition was out for various reasons. I was out of role playing. And so I wasn't, uh, I wasn't really, I didn't really know fourth edition very, very well. My, 
horizon of understanding of D and D stops with third edition. Uh, and I knew a lot about third edition. I was I was exceptionally well read on third edition. Um, I was the local expert on third edition in, in the gaming club at the University of Utah. Um, but uh, yeah, I I just I read some stuff this last week about fourth edition's manual of planes, and I was flabbergasted. I was offended, legitimately offended. I'm a very hard to offend person. So since we were talking about multiversal stuff, and what I was offended by was uh, their planar cosmology being junked, uh, the outer planes, great wheel, and the inner planes, elemental, para-elemental, and quasi-elemental planes being junked. And maybe some of those were junked in second edition. I don't know. I got all ticked off, and I thought we could talk about it for the last part of the show because screw them people. Um, well, well, you come to the right place. I, I lived on Planescape in the second edition days. So what'd you find out? I'm going to let me see if I can do this. Um, I have the cosmology in fourth edition. I've got a nice diagram to show if you like to see it. You got the fancy diagram, right? Oh, um, no, I got the fancy one. Only the best for our audience. I want to. I want to show this diagram. Because this is. Can you pop that up? You bet. This diagram is what they put in the DMG of the inner and outer planes. That's it. This is all of them. All of the inner and all of the outer planes in the DMG. Can you see my, my cursor? Uh, maybe. I can't. Oh, yeah, yeah it's visible. Down at the bottom, this is a primordial chaos or elemental chaos. And down at the bottom is the abyss, because the abyss gets to be a real plane. This is the prime material plane or the material plane or whatever they called it. These are the uh, mirror planes. This is shadow fell. And this is uh, the Feywild. And then this is the astral sea, and all these little dots that look like stars are, uh, what do they call them? Divine islands. Mm -hmm. And they're what used to be the outer planes, the great wheel. And this is it. This is everything. Everything. Top to bottom, left to right, everything. That's it. Everything else that exists in D&D &D has been swept away. It's gone. Okay, you can stop sharing that screen now. <laughs> oh, I am frosted. Now you are you are frosted. Why? I want to read this because these are from official statements. These are direct quotes from the people who were designing this. I don't usually read 
comments. I don't usually read text on the air that I'm quoting. Um, so I'm, I'm going to read this. A new cosmology meant that D&D's classic great wheel was being thrown out. The main complaint? Needless symmetry. The great wheel required planes for every alignment and every element, whether they were useful in games or not. New place thing is instead built maximum playability where there was no quote dead space. As the designers explained, the great wheel had contained good aligned planes that were never used and elemental planes that were too deadly. Now there was opportunity for adventure everywhere. The world axis also moved D&D's cosmology towards the points of light model. This is particularly obvious in the Astral Sea where good home bases were goodly and good aligned home bases were now points of light in a rugged, ruined environment. The same model could be found in all the new planes of the D&D multiverse. So literally, they wrecked the elemental planes, because they are too tough to adventure in, and they destroyed the Great Wheel because well, people don't go there anyway. Now it frosts me so much ticks me off so much because these dingleberries, these dingbats, these dummies have no idea why the planes existed. And it's right there in the DMD. In first edition Dungeon Master's Guide, start off playing in the main campaign area. As adventurers raiding dungeons, going on wilderness and city adventures, and then things expand. And you grow and become more powerful, and you adventure against larger and tougher enemies and go deeper in dungeons. And then you expand and go against even tougher enemies. And then you enter, you know, interacting with lords and dukes and kings and the powers of your campaign world. And then you become too powerful for those. And when you do, you have the planes. There's a big paragraph about this. There, Gygax describes it. The elemental planes are not supposed to be another playground for second and third character. They are not supposed to be happy, frolicky, fun time for people 
with 12 hit points to their name. They are supposed to be for mature, tough adventurers for whom wars of kingdoms are now too picayune to care about. They are now not matters that are too local, matters that are akin to two clods in a farming village throwing dirt at each other, okay, over whether or not the local milkmaid was going to kiss them at the barn dance, where wars involving entire continents are meaningless. Do you want to put Jeffro's quote up, that last quote? Um, it is, it is beyond consideration to completely destroy a contemplated part of the game that was created for specific reasons that exists for specific reasons to destroy it because you don't understand why it's so difficult. It is difficult because is places to eventually adventure for high-level characters. What mm, these just like that's uh, analogous that to the out outdoors adventures when uh, yeah when the players are done with their initial dungeon or town that they go out into the wilderness and all of a sudden all the monsters are greater and more difficult. They made it the kindergarten version of D and D. I want to read Jeffro's quote here for anybody who's not watching on YouTube. He says, it's very important for there to always be a greater challenge than you can imagine handling, especially for a campaign that is intended to last six or more years as Gary intended, or as Gary expected, rather. Uh, that's why I didn't want to use this particular diagram is because it actually kind of makes it look cool. And you think, oh, yeah, that's cool. That's awesome. It's got lightning everywhere and, and flames at the bottom. The flames. And it's not cool. It, it's, a, it's nothing. There's nothing there. They took away everything. Um. Where is that quote from? Who said that? Oh, oh, that quote is from. Uh, I, I was contemplating buying the Manual of the Planes. I think I said that already. Uh, on every PDF entry, under the specific PDF you're looking at on Drive Through RPG for the Wizards of the Coast, they had a story. In, uh, the history of 
that particular volume. So they had a historian research the history of the fourth edition manual of the planes. And this historian's name is Shannon Applecline, editor-in-chief of RPG.net, um, author of De uh, Designers and Dragons, a history of the role-playing industry told one company at a time. Um, and so she took quotes from the various, literally the designers of fourth edition Dungeons and Dragons. So that's not speculation. That is literally the quotes of the people who made the game. They said, this is too tough for players, so we can't do it. We can't do it too tough. We got to make it more accessible for low-level adventurers. It's just like, no, that's not why the planes are there. They're not to be accessible to low-level adventurers. They are the capstone of a career. They are everything you look forward to, you even they exist when you start playing D&D. Because me, in order to survive in the elemental plane of fire, you have to have spells or magic items, preferably magic items that are persistent, just to get there and live your life and live. You have to have ways to survive fire damage, be immune to fire, ways to breathe. Um and that's just a plane where you can pretty easily move through. I mean, how are you going to do that on the elemental plane of Earth? You have to stretch your creativity as a player to come up with ways to survive on the elemental plane of Earth. Much less, you know, elemental plane of water, easy. That's just an underwater adventure. Elemental plane of air, that's a gimme. You're floating through air. That's just a fly spell or a fly ring or whatever. But earth and fire, now you're really jumping up the difficulty. And then there's magma, ooze. And then you start going towards the positive material plane. You get into lightning or the negative material plane. You get into ash. All of these are different challenges that all require players to be creative. They all require people to think, to plan, to gather resources. And then going to hell, going to Gehenna, going to all of these other places is just, it's, it's, it's new experiences. It's new ways to survive the world with an entire plane, not just a monster, not just a dungeon of evil creatures, but an entire plane of evil. Everything in that plane, from the air you breathe to the plants you're walking past, is trying to kill you. And come the hell on. You don't need to make that easier for people. You need to make that hard so that it is a fitting challenge for high-level characters. It offends, Interesting. it offends me that they castrated the Outer Plains because we know what the Outer Plains are for. It's right there in the DMG. And fine, it's, it's a side effect of them 
throwing away the play style that Gygax presumed because they don't have campaigns that last very long, typically. But man, I just, uh, it makes me sad to see how far D&D has fallen. I'm done talking because we're out of time, but that was thematic with the rest of the show, and I wanted to get that off my chest. I hear and, you. And we have covered everything we promised to cover. Do you I have any you. comments about that now that I'm done ranting? Yeah, absolutely. I've, I've got a few. I mean, first of all, let's go to the chat. Bradford Bunker says, new D&D sees all spaces as nothing more than levels in a linear walking simulator. Uh, that's that's a good observation. I, my my perspective is slightly different, but I was thinking along the same lines. Uh, the uh, the change in fourth edition makes sense because of the change in the game. You you mentioned it earlier. the 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 change in the game from a open living world into a theme park, a series of theme parks, and the designers of D and D at that time couldn't do anything with the wheel because the cosmology and the way it related to alignment didn't make sense anymore. And and they looked at, at these settings or, or they had ideas about settings and they're like, no, this this isn't a good theme park, right? We need uh, we need to break this up so that you can just you can just insert whatever you know elemental based theme or angel or demon based theme you want into your game. Uh, so it makes sense. Uh, not that it's good. Uh, it's it, I, it's perplexing the choices that they made, uh, nuking the standard cosmology chart and and turning everything into a gray goo. I understand why they did what they did. It's just that's that's what modern role playing gaming became. Um, I do, I don't know, uh, something bothers me about the notion of just having greater challenges. It's, it, I get the idea that a high level character isn't just going to go dungeon delving, right? They, there's dealing with domains and kings and princes and angels and demons and gods and things like that. But I mean, if you step back far enough, it is just another theme park right the the in the context of how does your character deal with these challenges right you apply your skills knowledge um player skill character skill ability resources whatever to try to solve that problem right it, well, it isn't it isn't really that different it is a game yeah I mean, games are here's a challenge use your skill and the tools that you're given within the rules of the game to overcome the challenge. But the, the thing with the greater challenges is that the nature of the challenges change. Um, you have, this is interesting. Uh, now, now th this is interesting because that goes into the point I wanted to make. I, uh, I have skimmed the manual of the planes um, and I, just flipping through the pages, once you get out of the monster section at the back, 
Uh, there's very little gameable material here. It's all setting in background. There's some there's some mechanics for manipulating the outer planes and uh, portals and things like that. So there's a few rules on how to interact in a general nature, planar hazards, and then it's nonstop description. Just here's the city of doors. Here's the Feywild. Here's the Shadowfell, uh, including some some potentially really good. Uh, information like what could you do with this map of gloomrod well if you had good rules on urban adventures which might exist in fourth edition uh, then this would be a great map because you can say okay i can partition this into regions and i've got things that i know about and i can have people adventure there right but the rest of it's just fluff and so the people that took apart the alignment system and the outer planes system and, and that whole existing cosmology they didn't do it to make something more gameable they did it to create cool art pieces like i'm showing on stream uh where you have this fantastic fight against horrible chaos monsters floating in the chaos right uh yeah cool i mean that's that makes a cool scene you know in my mind's eye i bet, I bet it make a badass miniatures game but uh, it's not necessarily gameable. They're just they're just looking for all the fluff. That's my objection to the whole the whole idea. Um, was the was the um, was Gygax's idea more gameable? Maybe. Uh, but it, it tied the alignment system in to make alignment real. Like alignment's a real force in the world. Now in second edition, they tried to make everything gameable. Right, as you described, like let's have more rules, let's have more settings, let's have more ideas about what it's like to go to the outer planes, right? And it sort of became an established setting, and that that sort of walks the line between way too much fluff and you know we're it's, we're talking about second edition here, tons of fluff and that sort those sort of gameable stats, um, and translated that into three you know D and D three year later stats. You just look at that stuff and you're like, oh, this is just an adventure written with a challenge level of, you know, 15 to 20 instead of 1 to 10, right? So I think I think my, my objection isn't necessarily with the changes, but that the changes don't serve anything useful. Well, if all you're doing... In a, in, and we should really go. We're done. Maybe we should, uh, you know, kick this off some other time. Talk about now. We're talking about the difference between low level and high level, and, uh, high level adventuring, versus just why the planes exist and why they screwed it up. I, I just wanted to say this. Um, the thing is, when I first looked at the player's handbook, when I first ever got uh, a copy of the player's handbook and I first looked at it, I was a kid. I was born in 1973. And so the Monster Manual came out when I was six. The player's handbook came out when I was seven. When I first got a look at the player's handbook, I looked at those planes in the back. And I was so 
excited by just looking at them. Just looking at all of the planes, they were just, they made me want to go there. They made me want to do things. And the giant cup that I showed at the beginning of the show doesn't inspire me. It doesn't make me want to go anywhere. It doesn't make me want to do anything. It is boring. It is completely drained of all interest. Um, it is a tragedy. Uh, and so that's, that's what I want to end on, is that they took something that is imaginative, that is interesting, and they made it into just, just the worst ever. Um, <laughs> and Shiny, uh, a shiny, polished, unplayable turd. And you could do, like that, that art piece you showed me, I don't know what those monsters are. I don't know what their alignment is or where they're from, but I immediately thought, well, you could do that on Abyss easily. There could easily be a, in fact, I think there is a, a plane of the Abyss that's air with floating stones in it. You could do that, you know, in the elemental plane of air. You could do that in astral space as it currently was. Um, I think you could raid their astral sea for some interesting ideas not that the other planet would go there, but, you know, you have floating chunks of rock, which was already there before. Um, that's where some of the gith were living, was in the astral plane with floating chunks of rock. You could put some of that stuff that on a little level was interesting. Uh, and maybe the Feywild is actually an interesting idea, not as a replacement for the elemental planes, but as a, you know, fairy, literally the fairy of fairy that you read about in, you know, Lord Dunsany or, or traditional, um, traditional fairy. That's what it is. That's what it is. It's, it's, not, it's not actually a replacement for the inner planes. It's just a way to put fae or the fairy in the D&D cosmology. Which is fine. That's great. I'm down with that. But don't front like you're, you know... Oh, yes, we're replacing the elemental planes with something. There. No, you just got rid of them and together it's new you know, element chaos or whatever. Uh, yeah, I mean, not, not, not to be too pedantic, but yeah, the, the Feywild and the Shadowfell are not and were never intended as replacements for the elemental planes. The, that's what the elemental chaos is. Instead of having distinct elemental planes, they just have elemental chaos and different elements have different domains in it. They're a replacement so, for all of the inner planes. Yeah. Yeah. That, that they, they're all basically in a soup called the elemental chaos. Um, no, I mean, the Feywild and Shadowfell, they're replacements for the inner planes. Those are the new inner planes. Because that? that's literally what they said. That's literally well, what the people making the game said. 
Uh, well, it's it's well established that those people are idiots. I I. <laughs> <laughs> There's no need to split hairs. If if you read the, if you go read the fourth edition manual of the planes, it's they're not, and it doesn't okay. read as if they were ever intended to be. Uh, the the um the Feywild is the a way to insert, uh, Fey into the D and D cosmology, and the Shadowfell is just a combination of the plane of shadow and a place for the demi planes of dread. It's all there. Okay. They just, uh, I got the feeling like they got a lot of harsh feedback after the DMG was published. And so, mm. uh, I, it looks like they walked a lot of that back in the manual of the planes. I'm not saying it's good as, you know, as, as we flipped through the book, there's not much gameable there. Um, but they did, right. I mean, they, they did, they did sort of put all the inner planes into a blender. Yeah. And they did the same thing with the outer planes. There's no, there's no more wheel. They're all just sort of floating there in the astral, and they're not limited to the alignments. Yeah. All right. I'm, I'm, I'm done. I'm mad. About <laughs> explain why I'm mad. I'm not needlessly filled with rage because they changed something. I am a physical as a game hey, designer. Yeah, let's 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 end with that quote. Who's attributed to Chesterton? Before you take down a fence, make damn sure you know why it was put up in the first place. Yes. Yeah. All right. Let's get out of here. I'm done. Thanks so much for the show, DW. That was a lot of fun. I love talking about that stuff. See you guys next week. Uh, thanks for everybody who turned in live, participated in the chat. Uh, thanks for everybody who uh, will listen later. Um, we just want to let you know, if you wanted to see the pictures uh, and the diagrams that were so important today's show, remember, you can check us out on YouTube.com. That is YouTube.com slash GeekGab. We are here live uh, every Saturday or just about every Saturday, 2 p.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Pacific. And the shows are archived right here, so you can watch them uh, at your leisure going way, way back episode 286, which means we just, uh, you know, two, three more months before we hit episode 300. And we're probably yes. not going to do anything super special for that because we typically don't. We just nod as a anniversary passes by and go, hey, that was an anniversary two weeks ago. Oh, I'm going um, to do something special for show 300. I'm going to do it without pants. <laughs> huh. We uh, also want to let you know that you can get us on Apple iTunes Store, on the Google Play Store, and on SoundCloud.com. Just do a search for uh, Geek Tab. You can download us on the device of your choice or listen to us on the web. We are signing out to, for today, folks, but don't you worry. Don't you fret. We will be back.